0: Hey, attention, house hackers. The market has changed, interest rates are up. Does house hacking still make sense? The short answer is yes. But to blend a successful strategy, you need a lot more details. So we have two great events coming up, brought to you by Envision Advisors and Cornerstone Lending. The first one is a six-week webinar series, absolutely free. Starts February 15th, and we're gonna go through all the information you need to know for what's working in the markets in 2023. The second event is our all day house hacking summit. It's an in-person event on March 25th, and this will not be the typical seminar event. We will make it interactive, so it'll be a lot of networking and workshop focused and roundtable focused speaking events. So this will not be your typical event. It's going to be focused on networking, doing workshops, being part of roundtables. We will help you walk away with a clear action plan for your next house hack move. All the details are on DenverInvestmentRealEstate.com. Go there for the details. I look forward to helping you build more wealth through house hacking.
1: You're listening to the Colorado Springs Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. Hey, Colorado Springs. This is Jenny Bayless, and I am here with Jordan Malera, who is a real estate agent and investor. And um, he has a really interesting history and story about his real estate investing um, trajectory, so wanted to have him on just to, to share some ideas for our audience, and um, you know, kind of talk about some nuanced topics. So, Jordan, thanks so much for for coming on the podcast today.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me, Jenny. Uh, this is really exciting to me, and I'm excited to kind of talk through my investment story.
1: Yeah, I, I'm I'm excited as well. So we'll just kind of start at the beginning. Um, you know, how you got into investing. You know, you, the usual first question that that we bring up for people.
2: Yeah. Uh, I don't think my my investment story starting from the beginning really is different than most other people's. Um, I started in a very traditional job. Um, I moved to Colorado Springs for the military. And somewhere along the way, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and maybe a handful of other real estate-related books. And I just thought, maybe this is worthwhile to at least try out. Um, and at the time, everyone that I was working with bought a house around here. Uh, this is like 2017 of uh like fall, fall of 2017. And so I was like, ah, I guess we'll buy a house. So we bought a single family home. And I thought, mm, yeah, I'll get into real estate investing by just renting this out when I go somewhere else with the military. And uh about what, five and a half years later, I'm still here. Uh I've moved several times, uh, invested all throughout the springs into different um different types of investment properties and classes. And, uh, so that's kind of how I got started. It was, it was kind of just supposed to be a one-off thing that I kind of bought a few houses over time and really it it exploded from there.
1: Yeah. So I guess, um, tell us a little bit about the first property. You know, you you said that you were going to turn it into a rental. Did you have any sort of framework in mind, um, about, you know, what made a good rental or, or was it just kind of, you know, throwing darts at a dartboard and seeing what sticks?
2: it was it was probably closer to just throwing darts at a dartboard and seeing what sticks in that i didn't really know how to analyze a deal so my idea of investing in real estate was like okay everyone else is spending i don't know 330 on a house i'm going to spend a little bit less and get a little bit low quality liter- lower quality of a house um because maybe the payment will be a little bit better i can add some value to the property and my mortgage payment will be more easily covered by you know, whoever comes in and rents it next, and there really wasn't much beyond that. I understood like the idea of accounting for vacancy, um, accounting for capital expenditures, but there wasn't a whole lot of uh, of analysis that went into the property. It was more, this is in a good location. Um, it's a decent property that could use some work, and I think it'll work as a rental in the future.
1: Great. So, um, so you moved out of that. Is it still a rental? Is it still part of your portfolio?
2: We do still own that property. Um, It's not close to close by any of our other rentals, but it, uh, it's still a great long-term rental for us and, um, has appreciated over time. And we've paid it down and always had a renter in there. So it's, it's a good property. I'm happy we bought it
1: yeah that's that's awesome and especially twenty seventeen you know that's uh, a lot a lot has happened in Colorado Springs value wise <laughs> since then so I imagine that you're sitting pretty on that one <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah it's kind of it seems unbelievable what we bought bought it for um now looking at current prices but uh, yeah. that's I mean, that's the power of time and I think that's really the value of real estate that people don't fully understand. It's not about when you buy it or whether the market's good or bad. It's just that you buy something and just you just hold that property for a long time.
1: Absolutely. I love that you said that. Um, you know, I I completely agree that um, a lot of the properties that like we bought back in 2016, 2017 and, you know, at the time I'm like, oh, I, don't, I don't know if this is a good idea. Like now I feel like I was a genius, you know, yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah, like, right. you know, we'd really thought it was a giant mistake five, six years ago, but. Yeah. Time, time makes things look a lot better than, uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, so that's great. So, so going into your second property, did you, uh, have more of a, you know, intention, um, or I guess investment intention behind that one, or, um, you know, at what point did you start thinking, um, you know, about more of an investor focus on it?
2: Yeah. With the second property. So in between buying that first property, we we ended up living in that, that first property about two years, um and around like that one year mark i thought maybe there's more to this investing strategy so i'll go to like a local meetup and so i went to a meetup and uh met the guy that was running the meetup and he ultimately persuaded me to really look at um house hacking and so that's kind of how we approached this next deal and he was able to kind of walk us through all the numbers and we approached it much more like an investment property and that was immensely helpful having someone come alongside me teach me how to analyze numbers, um, how to look at what rental rates will look like, how to know what renovation costs um, might be on a property. Really understanding the full scope and picture of investing is really what I focused on for that second deal, um, which I don't think I would have done without having someone come alongside me. And so that was incredibly beneficial. Um, And he ended up kind of helping me really get into investing. Um, And it's someone that I, I still work with today.
1: That's great. That's great. Um, So was it just a single family home or was it, um, you know, multifamily or ADU? Uh, How how did you go about, you know, more intentionally picking out this next one?
2: Um, Yeah, I was pretty open as far as what the deal looked like. My only criteria was that I wanted to house hack the property. Um, So we were primarily looking for duplexes based off of our price range, Mm -hmm. Um, but we were pretty open to any other options. So we ended up purchasing a duplex. It was down, down in the Ivy wild area. Um, there was a lot of like development going on. Um, the Creek walk specifically, it was kind of like right across from where this property was. And so there was a lot of, there was a lot of, um, basically the projection of the area getting better. And so that, that was kind of a key factor in why we purchased down there. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say it was the nicest area, you know, four or five years ago, but, there was always this, uh, you could follow the path of progress and know that this is gonna be a good area down the road, even if it's not right now. Um, and so that's really what informed our decision to move away. The first house was on the east side of Colorado Springs. We wanted to be closer to the mountains, closer to where there was really a restriction in supply on housing. Um, and so then we made that move down to the downtown Ivy Wild district. Um, so it was a it's, a, it's a duplex, it's got 1800 square feet above and 600 square feet below. So, my wife and I went from living in uh, you know a two thousand square foot single family home to a six hundred square foot duplex. Um, a lot of downsizing, a lot of selling all of our furniture. <laughs> a great exercise, uh, and a lot of convincing it took to kind of to get my wife to sign off on that. But we kept our long-term objective in mind, mm-hmm. um, which for us was uh, helping supplement her income so that, Uh, She could stay home and take care of any future kids. And so that was really a a big first step for us. But it showed us the power of investing because by being able to downsize and live in that 600 square foot unit, um, we rented out the 1800 square foot unit to um, someone through an insurance company. So their houses had burned down pretty significantly, Mm -hmm. it was being fixed up. And so they paid far above market rent um to house that person for nine months and that person ended up staying a whole year actually. Um and that completely covered the mortgage. So we lived for free in that property. And I mean we went from having a mortgage to now renting that other property out and living for free in this new one. And it was like this uh, light bulb went off and we're like, oh my gosh, real estate works and it's <laughs> real. And like, you know, you can hear it all the time on podcasts, but this is like what people actually talk about. This is how it works. And that is just invaluable experience.
1: Yeah. Sometimes you kind of have to like really go through it to, for it to click because like conceptually it's like, yeah, okay. I can listen to a hundred people say, you know, this is what they did. And, you know, now everything's, you know, amazing. But yeah, I think it really, like even just looking at a spreadsheet doesn't really like make sense until you're in the thick of it and you're like seeing the cash flow come in or, you know, in your case living for free. I mean, that's, amazing to not have to, you know, dip into your, your bank account each month to, to live. So, um, and I know that one of your, um, you know, one of the things that we're planning on talking about today was kind of, um, you know, sacrifices, um, for financial freedom. So can you tell me a little bit about kind of what you think about, you know, the sacrifices you've made personally, or what you think that, um, you know, investors, just beginning might have to do in order to to make their their achievements and their goals.
2: Yeah, I think um ultimately what everyone's goal is is always financial freedom it seems like or or at least some sort of autonomy of time mm-hmm. is what a lot of real estate investors are chasing after. And it's easy to think that you know anybody can achieve that and can achieve it quickly because we hear it on all of the big podcasts, but I think the truth is and what I've realized is to achieve financial freedom, especially at a younger age than, than most people are able to achieve it, or you know what other people are calling like soft retirement, you have to make sacrifices. And these sacrifices come down to a couple of key components. It means, you know, for one, I think house hacking is one of the best ways you can achieve financial freedom. But the sacrifice is you always have someone living nearby you. Um, there's there's more extreme versions of house hacking where you know you rent out a room. In a duplex, and so you're renting out like a completely separate unit, and then also maybe a spare bedroom. And so you have people all around you um, or every bedroom in your house you're renting out. But there's also like some more tangible or some more less aggressive moves towards house hacking. If you had a house in a cottage or an ADU, you know, you get some sort of separation from those people. You put up a fence, you're still taking a small bit of sacrifice because you are renting out a unit on your property. Um, but it still helps supplement your mortgage. And so I think there's different levels of sacrifice you can take on. The more, the higher level of sacrifice, especially when it comes to house hacking you can take on, um, really equates to a little bit better of returns. And so then you can use those returns to grow quicker and quicker. You know, For us personally, we could have chosen to live in the 1800 square foot unit and rent out the 600 square foot unit in that duplex. That would have had a massive difference on our ability to save and cover the mortgage. And so we chose to, to make the larger sacrifice when we were young and when it doesn't matter as much so that, um, we can hopefully gain a lot more in the long term. So that's, that's one of the sacrifices. Um, I think the other large one, um, comes down to being willing to sacrifice your time because we want that time freedom in the future. So what if I sacrifice my time now? What mm-hmm. if I'm willing to work a job and then also work on fixing up a property? You know, after I get done working, and so some people would say, "Well, you know, you're just trading your early part of your time for your later part of your time." But that's a very linear way of thinking about time, and I think when we think about investing, it should be in an exponential growth way. And so, just like our our real estate grows in very in in an exponential format, um, and just like the stock market or our other investments grow in exponential format, I think also our time can grow in an exponential format where we put in the time early on. And then we reap the greater benefits of that in the future.
1: I completely agree. I completely agree with that sentiment. And it's hard when you're when you're just starting off and everything just seems really, you know, heavy. Um, because you don't know what you're doing, you don't know what risks you're up against. And I mean, I completely agree in terms of you know the time piece of it. I, I tell everyone that I, I think it's a really good idea for people to self-manage at first because you are going to be just absolutely spinning your wheels, have no idea what you're doing, but after you know a few iterations of it, you know exactly how to screen a tenant. You know exactly the move in move out procedure to your house, like you know y- and, and then when you get to the point where you can outsource that time management piece of it to a property manager you kind of have an idea, like, obviously you're not going to micromanage the the PM, but, you know, you have a better idea of what they should be doing, um, to effectively manage your asset, but while being able to remove yourself, um, from that. So, um, you know, I, I think that what you just mentioned is like crucial for people to, to, to kind of accept, um, as a, as a, you know, just kind of a fact of, Real estate, like it kind of stinks in the beginning, like you know, you're not really making too much money. you're doing a lot of stuff that you don't want to do, but just wait a few years and then it all accumulates really, really quickly at that
2: point, oh, totally. yeah, I completely agree with you with what you said. and, and yeah, it, it does I think in the beginning, it's it's so hard because it's hard to be patient. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to see that explosion of growth so quickly. And the truth is, I think you know we talked about this before, like real estate is a long term game. it's a buy and hold game, and you know, in the beginning in those first few years, it feels very slow. Mm-hmm. but it's amazing how quickly we've been able to scale up our portfolio even after a couple of years, um just through having you know more investments and more investments and being able to you know reuse that capital and and keep moving, keeping keeping it moving forward and scaling up and so Yeah. Sometimes you just got to be patient. You got to push through those tough times and it doesn't feel worth it in the beginning, but eventually it will.
1: Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, so from your duplex, where, where are you now? And what, what did you guys do in between, um, to, to get to your portfolio?
2: Um, yeah. Do you want the, the quick version or the long version? Like do you oh, want the, the yeah, scope of I, the portfolio or do you want like where we went next, like the next property?
1: You, you can you can say next if it's, you know. Okay. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So the next one we did was uh, a little bit more of a value add play. Ultimately, we were looking for another duplex or something a little bit larger. We wanted a, a really a triplex. And we were just, it was a very competitive time in the market and it was really difficult to lock anything down. So we started looking at some different creative ways of getting into real estate. Or getting into the next property. And so one, I had a kind of like a mutual friend. I didn't really know him that well, but he was converting a a garage attached to his house into a a whole nother unit, into a what's known as an integrated ADU. And I thought, man, that sounds really cool. Like (laughs) creating a whole nother unit. And I started looking at the numbers. And when, when I was looking at it, it's like, okay, a single family home is a bit cheaper than say a duplex. Um, just because there's there's a scarcity of duplexes. So it does kind of um, bring some of their prices up a bit. And so I was like, well, if I can take this single family home and I can turn it into... If I, I can add this cottage, then I'm getting it for a good price and I'm going to put the value into it. And I was like, well, these things are appraising really well in the back end too. So I thought, well, maybe there's a chance I buy a single family home with a cottage or with a detached garage and I can convert it into an accessory dwelling unit. And so that's exactly what we did. We found this... It was a mediocre single-family home, to be honest. It wasn't anything great, and uh, we ended up. We we wanted to target the short-term rental market in on this specific property. It was in uh, Old Colorado City, and we just thought, you know, we've seen people have great success with this. They get you know higher than average cash flow, so why don't we give this a try? And so we ended up buying a single-family home. It was a, it was a two-one. We created, we made it into a three-two. So we we took the basement, um, added a bedroom and a bathroom, made that a short-term rental. Um, it had an exterior entrance from the back. And so um, we kind of separated it off from the upper unit. My wife and I lived in the upper unit. And then over time, over the course of a year of, of owning that property, maybe a little bit less, about nine months, we converted a small 350-square-foot garage into an accessory dwelling unit. And then that became another short-term rental unit.
1: Wow. So um, you squeezed a single-family home into effectively three units. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, that takes a lot of creativity, I think, um, it, you know, and, and vision to be able to do that. Um, how are you guys um, renting that out currently?
2: So we moved out of that property this past year. Um, and because of the short-term rental regulations, we had to change that up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so now there's uh, three medium-term rental units in that property. Okay. Um, and so... Because it wasn't eligible for a short term rental permit, um, we ended up just going the medium term rental route, and that's worked out really well,
1: yeah, yeah so so you moved out of that one um where are you at now?
2: Um, so then we purchased we purchased another investment property that we didn't live in this past year. okay um I don't know if you want you want to talk about that one a little bit
1: absolutely, yeah.
2: That one is a that one did qualify for a short- term rental permit. Okay. Um, so there, we purchased that one with the intent of turning it into a short- term rental. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was another house that had a, a larger detached cottage or a detached garage. Um, it was about seven hundred and twenty square feet. so we converted that into a two bedroom two bath cottage um, and then remodeled the whole main house. And so that took us about a year so we we bought that one in um, February of twenty twenty one and it basically just or sorry twenty twenty two and it just got done this december Wow, so both units are <laughs> up and running on that one that's been really fun uh, was, just
1: was that one hard to find um hard to acquire just based on as, as you alluded to the short term rental regulations are really, really tight here, so I didn't know how you guys lucked out on on finding something within the you know, radius rule and all that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They are very tough to find. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, I just kind of stumbled upon the property It had fallen out of contract. Um, and so it just popped back up on the market and it was probably, I don't know, I was like scrolling in bed one night and I was like, Oh, this, I wonder if this is eligible because it, when you look at these specific properties, obviously like the more denser regions are the downtown area for those permitting. And this was kind of, uh, it, it backed up to open space. And so there was no houses out around the back, and i thought man this this is like a pretty high chance there's only a few houses that are really within the radius of of five hundred feet for this specific house um and sure enough, I checked the next day and was eligible and so then, from there i we just jumped on it as quickly as we could, and <laughs> uh yeah, we kind of lucked out i don't I don't know if we beat the competition to even recognizing it um or if you know i don't I don't know you know how we lucked upon it. Um, but it was, it was really just a great opportunity that we were able to kind of hop on right away.
1: Yeah. I think, um, I mean, my guess would be that, yeah, because you guys had, um, kind of, you know, the radar for what you, what you knew, what you were looking for is, is kind of what <laughs> I'm getting at here. Yeah. Um, you saw m- more value in this property than perhaps someone else did. So I think that, that's that probably, very true. Yeah.
2: Yep, and our, our appraisal showed that too. The appraisal <laughs> came in a little bit lower than than what we paid, uh or than or it came on lower than what we were willing to pay. Um, but that's kind of the maybe the price you could say of of the permitting of that specific property. So
1: yeah. So I imagine kind of skipping ahead, you said you just finished it um, you know, not too long ago. Did you get it reappraised at that point um to do any, yeah. any sort of cash out? Yeah.
2: So it's kind of an interesting deal. Um, so essentially, we purchased with hard money in the beginning mm-hmm. to actually um, do all the renovations. So uh, I, I don't mind going through the hard numbers if if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, but but basically, we purchased for four sixty five, and the hard money loan was. Uh, 10% down and 10% of the renovations we had to bring to the table. Okay. And then they, they funded 90% of the, the purchase price and 90% of the renovations. The total renovations ended up being about 175 to convert the garage and redo the whole main house. Um, and then we ended up doing a refi. So it reappraised. We bought it for 465 put all that money into it. And it, reapp- it appraised in December for 775 so that meant uh, we are able to basically not have to put any more cash into the deal, um, besides the the basically the ten percent of renovations and ten percent of the purchase price that we put into it. Um, and so that was twenty five percent basically to to buy out of that loan. So it came in perfectly. So that was, it was a really awesome deal to not have to bring any more cash to closing and to appraise at that price.
1: Yeah. I feel like you, uh, you know, had to get paid in equity for your, <laughs> your headaches that it, it sounds like you were facing. So yeah, that's kind of, that's, that's great that you're able to <laughs> pull that one off.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was a blessing.
1: Yeah. So, so from
2: there, yeah. Um, yeah. So we, we ended up just buying a new house in September of this past year. Um, this specific property um it already had a detached cottage on it and uh it was kind of interesting this specific property my uh, wife's cousin found on Facebook and so so she texted it to my wife she said hey i know you guys have a couple of houses with cottages this one has a cottage um it was just some wholesaler trying to basically sell the property um and so we got in, uh, in um, contact with the wholesaler and found out kind of what the property address was what kind of condition it was in And kind of through some working out and working with the wholesaler, we found out he didn't actually have like any right to list the property. (laughs) Um, Except like, I I can't even explain the document that was used to, it it, it basically gave him no, no legal standing to like exclusively list the property. And so it gave us the ability to go kind of knock on the seller's door and ask him, you know, is there, you know, is there a chance you want to sell to us? Um, the seller wasn't home. So I knocked on the cottage's door and they gave me his number and I called him and he's like, Oh yeah. Like, I just, I just gave that guy some, like the ability to market my property. Cause I'm thinking about selling, but not really tied to selling it. I was like, well, I'd love to work out a deal with you. And so worked with the seller for, I don't know, probably about a month to kind of refine what he wanted for the property and figure out a way to, to purchase it at the price that made sense for us. Um, but the property was really interesting and intriguing to us because it had the cottage in the back. So we, we love the cottages because um, we always want a house hack. Mm-hmm. And then it also had three entrances to the house on different levels. So in the back, in the rear, there was a deck that went up to the, the second story level. There was the front door for the, the main level. And then there was a entrance in the back to the basement. So what that meant is we could separate the house into... Basically, two other short-term rentals—one above us and one below us—and we could live on the main level. So, basically, we'd have three short-term rental units um, on this specific property. Um, so that was that was pretty cool, pretty unique, and uh, something that drew us to the property.
1: Have you guys finished um, conversion of that that property to?
2: Not, yeah, n- not quite yet. So <laughs> the basement unit is up and running. Um, it's a little studio uh, Airbnb or short-term rental, and then the upper unit doesn't have a shower upstairs so we're in the process of adding a shower and then that one will be good um and then we're waiting on the tenant in the cottage to move out cuz so it came with a tenant they'll be out in uh end of April so then we'll transition that one for the uh spring and summer season
1: okay so so based on kind of your how you've described your portfolio it sounds like you have mostly short or medium term rentals i guess you have uh one or Three units that are, I I wasn't sure the duplex, (laughs) what you guys are doing on that, if those are long term or
2: the duplex is long term. Okay.
1: Okay. So you guys have a really wide array of strategies. Um, That's fascinating to me. Like I am such a cookie cutter. Like all of my whole portfolio is long term rentals because that's what I know to do. So I I love the (laughs) fact that you guys are like, you know, taking what the market's giving you and adapting. Your strategy to fit that and to you know get the most optimized cash flow um, in those situations was it hard going from long term to um, you know short term, medium term, or was it pretty easy for you guys to just be able to pivot? Um, you know how you guys were running out the properties.
2: Um, I would say it was it was hard, but not as hard as it could have been. Mm-hmm. So I got connected with some people that. We're doing some um, short-term rentals already. When we first started entering that market, and through meeting them, they were—I mean, it's across the investor community. Everyone just wants to help each other, and yeah. so these guys were just so willing to share all their like secrets and tips and kind of what what they've learned over the years. And being able to leverage that knowledge really made it a lot easier on my wife and I to get into the short-term rental space. Um, and. There's always, there's always hiccups. There's always things you figure out along the way. Um, and especially with medium term rentals, it was even more of an unknown space where we didn't know a whole lot of people that were doing it, but we knew we could figure it out. We, we honestly, my wife and I, we, we believe that, it, you know, we bet on ourselves and we we can figure it out. And we know we're surrounded with great people that are willing to help out too. And so I think that went a long way in helping us to implement a short term rental strategy or a medium term rental strategy, um, when we had really no experience in it. And so that's what I... I love helping people do the exact same thing now. Because I would be nowhere if it wasn't for the people that you know helped me get into real estate and any sort of investment strategy. And so I, I think people need to realize that real estate is not a, a single person's game. It, no one can do it alone. It's really the benefit of everyone... To the benefit of everyone if we all help each other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean... What you're looking for isn't necessarily what the next person's looking for, and and vice versa. And everyone kind of has their own niche that they like. So, I mean, there's literally no harm in helping each other. I I think, um, you know, every everyone's going to grow, um, in this, and um, so yeah, that's fantastic. And I'm guessing that you guys have a pretty, um, pretty good, uh, like system set up for your shorter stay rentals at this point, um, you know, just kind of getting over that hurdle.
2: (laughs) Yeah, those are definitely crucial. Um, And to be honest, just like we've diversified in our rental portfolio, we've diversified in how we manage our properties too. Um, So for like our long-term rentals, we actually handed those over to property management uh, about a year ago now. Okay. um, Just because... I, th- I think it just fit in line with more of what we were looking for and what we enjoyed. I think there's an there's an important aspect of an, of doing what you enjoy in investing. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, I enjoyed the short-term rental management more than I enjoyed the long-term rental management. I, I think that's mainly because when you hear from a long-term tenant, it's usually something bad. You know, <laughs> hey, something's broken.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: With a short-term rental uh, guest, you might hear, "Hey, like we loved our stay. Thank you for hosting us." It's like, "Wow, that's that's really nice to hear." And so you're you're hit with more like positive feedback, I would say, most of the time, than negative feedback with a short-term rental. Um, And so that kind of has helped us immensely. Um, And then we also actually handed over some of our short terms, uh, some of our larger units. Uh, to management as well. Okay. And because those units are a little bit tougher. Um, but then for the rest of the ones that we manage, yes, it's all systematized. So pricing software, management software, um, and then we even have a, a cleaner um who helps like manage inventory and things like that. So we pay her a little bit extra to do, you know, make sure all of our units are cleaned and manage, basically manage the other cleaners. And so without that stuff, without those systems in place and the people, it would probably be a a massive headache. Uh, But with those systems, it becomes much more manageable and allows us to still have time to continue to take on other projects.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, just kind of picking apart some of the stuff that you said there, like I I love that you guys were able to identify which properties or which property types you wanted to self-manage, which ones you, you know, didn't want to for whatever reason that might be. I think, um, you know, I, I think, that it's smart and and that you're able to recognize that. But then also I think that it has a lot to do with the fact that we were just talking about, you put in the time in the first place to get your portfolio to a place where you can be more selective as to like what it is that you, that you're working on. Um, So I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm guessing in the beginning um you probably wouldn't have had that luxury um or things would have been really tight uh, <laughs> if you did. Yeah
2: yeah the the growth in in rental rates and the i mean long-term fixed rate debt allows you to have a bigger gap over time and so yes that uh, that did allow us to then consider property management whereas in the beginning it, there's yeah there's no way we would have been negative it wouldn't have yeah. made sense and i think like you said there's value in learning the h- how to manage mm-hmm. so that then you can then screen a property management company and uh, judge the, kind of their effectiveness as they're working for you.
1: Yeah, and now you're able to dedicate more of your time to uh, performing the rehab and and you know w- making that process uh, complete, especially for the the property that you're in right now, which in turn will just have more assets working for you. Um, you know more mm-hmm. more cash flow, and you'll be able to just kind of you know, scale uh, from there. So I think, um, you know, I think that it's really neat that you're at a place now where you're able to kind of pick and choose what your um, your time is best spent on the, you know, the highest production value of that. So I think that's, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, where are you guys right now in terms of your portfolio? Like, um, you know, are you looking to buy any any properties outside of a house hack? Um, how many house hacks do you guys want to do? That sort of thing.
2: Yeah. Um, my original plan was 10 units, 10 years. Um, we're at 10 units and we're at about... Well, we're at about four years. So <laughs> um, th- I think that's that's me not understanding exponential growth, kind of like mm-hmm. we talked about, not understanding like how quickly scaling could happen. Um, I think right now, I'm not necessarily looking to purchase anything. Uh, Our main focus is to get uh, the units that we need to get up, up and running um, and live. Mm -hmm. And I think I've put off a lot of stuff over time. So there's been like in our duplex, we have the ability to add like a bathroom and a bedroom. We saw that potential from the beginning. We didn't have cash to execute on that stuff. And so I think right now it'd be nice to kind of look... At places where there is room to add value in our own portfolio yeah. and in the properties that we already have and look to kind of execute on some of that for the time being. Um, and then just take care of, you know, maintenance uh, around yeah. these properties that, you know, this stuff adds up over time and I, I don't, I don't want to just continue to be in like a growth mindset for too long. I, I want to also preserve and protect what we have and um, continue to reinvest into the, our own you know properties. And so right now we're, Leaving a little bit of a growth period because we're a little bit ahead of our goals to hopefully uh optimize our portfolio and then we'll kind of switch back
1: i I love that you um that you guys are doing that uh just from a you know selfish point of view because that's kind of where I'm at as well like i I feel like every couple of years I like to press pause and make sure that like the assets that you know the assets that you've accumulated over the past couple of years that you make sure that they're as protected and as strong as possible. And, um, you know, like you said, you're identifying opportunities within your own portfolio that it's probably going to give you a better return than if you were to go buy, you know, a new property. Like if you were to just improve what you have, you know, put a couple tens of thousands of dollars into that and you're able to increase your rent, um, you know, a, 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 because of doing that, um, you know, is probably a better use of your, your cash than just, you know, going into a whole new project and all the unknowns and everything related to that. So, um, yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I think that it's, that it makes me feel better at least, uh, <laughs> doing <laughs> that pressing pause for a minute and making sure that, you know, you're not going to get the rug rug pulled out from underneath you. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if something happens. So, um, that's fantastic. And congratulations on, on meeting your goals so quickly. Uh, <laughs> that's. I mean, that's amazing to like do it in half the amount of time that you originally set out to do. So, <laughs> um, yeah, you don't really hear that too often. So, um, yeah. what, so what are some tips that you would give to newer investors, just either mindset or tactical or just anything that you kind of wish that you knew, uh, five, five-ish years ago when you started?
2: Um, yeah, I think some of some of that would come down to and I, I think it gets said a lot, but um one one of the things that I think every investor needs to realize is that you don't have all the knowledge when you're starting out. And that doesn't mean you can't invest and get started. So many times investors just want like newer investors, they wanna they wanna have all the answers. They wanna they want to know exactly what's going to happen when they invest in real estate. And the truth is, you don't know. You mm. learn by actually doing it and experiencing it. Yeah. You can read yeah. as many books as you want um, and pretend you know as much as you want about <laughs> real estate. But the truth is, like you don't know anything. You don't know how to screen a tenant until you actually go through the process and do it. Yeah. And there's going to be hiccups along the way. You're probably going to do a bad job and you're probably going to put someone into a property that you shouldn't have. I've done it. I've made so many mistakes, but I think when I look at what really separates me from a lot of other people or a lot of other investors is I'm willing to take on the risk that I don't know everything, but that I believe that I can figure it out, so you know, yeah, I've placed a bad tenant before well what am what are my options? How can I get them out, or like what are some different things I would do differently next time and so I think being a person of action is really important um not I I don't want people to just like jump in without knowing anything, but if you surround yourself with the right people and, um and just know that like, yeah, you're not going to have all the answers, but you can figure it out. I think that should be enough to kind of get you to invest in real estate and be successful. So I, I think the biggest thing for new investors is just getting started. You just have to do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Methodically. Yep. That's methodically. Yeah, yeah. That's I totally agree with that. And I mean, um, Uh, do you, do you stay awake at night thinking about your bad tenants or, you know, your mistake that you made? Probably not. Like (laughs) you probably are just fine with it and you, you will be fine with it. Um, and I think as long as you are accepting of the fact that it will happen, like no matter what, um, and you know, uh, you might make a mistake tomorrow and you're, You're an advanced investor, so it's like you're just going to keep making mistakes. Is what I'm trying to get at, and yeah, it's not a big deal. Like you just have to assume it's going to happen and learn from it and adjust.
2: Yeah, and I think that goes like kind of building off of that. With every real estate transaction I've ever done, I've been like scared or nervous about some part of it. Like Mm -hmm. there's always some unknown. It's not like after purchasing two properties, I'm like, oh, I know what to expect. I mean, even, you know, I I bought a house and converted a garage. I did it twice. And the second time I was still terrified and still didn't know what to expect. And there's still so many unknowns, like just because you've done something so similar doesn't mean it takes that, like that discomfort out of it. And so you have to kind of embrace the discomfort of it all and just, yeah, just kind of move forward methodically. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like you said, and just continue to continue to invest, and I think that's really what separates a lot of different people
1: yeah, and i I think that because like um the stuff that you guys have done with your portfolio is incredibly impressive, just even is the creativity alone on it and I think um you know, as you mentioned, the discomfort that's associated with it it's like I think that that is that's why you're able to achieve the returns that you've achieved and the growth that you've achieved because you've done something that's hard. If it weren't hard, everyone would be doing it and there would be no growth or return <laughs> opportunity in that. So, um, you know, I think that that is just, a, uh, um, yeah, I, I think that's something that a lot of people, um, might be naive to It's just mm-hmm. that, you know, it's going to be hard. Um, You know, and you're just gonna have to suck it up and get through it and (laughs) keep pressing forward. So that's right. Yeah. So that's great. Um, yeah. I mean, your story is just absolutely fantastic. I'm very impressed with um all the creative things that you guys have done. And um, you know, I think you and I we have similar philosophy, but completely different execution strategy on it. Um, so that's kind of the fun part about real estate. I think is that there's no one way to do it. And everyone kind of has their own preferences for how it's done. And, you know, you probably, we get to the same end point at at some point, you know, together. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I I really appreciate you coming on and and sharing your story and and everything that you guys have done to get where you're at. And um, yeah, if if there's anything else you think that our audience should know, um, just, just, yeah, feel free to, Feel free to mention it, but, um, you know, where can uh, people, you know, get a hold of you? Where can they reach out to you? Um, and we'll include it in our show notes as well.
2: Um, yeah, probably the easiest places are... Probably Facebook, Bigger Pockets, and LinkedIn. I don't know. I'm not a huge social media person to be honest. So I'm not like on Instagram. I'm not on TikTok. Um, I'm on just some of like the older platforms. I would say. Um, or, or you can you can always email me too. Um, but yeah, those are probably the the main ones that. Uh, that's probably the best way to get in
1: contact with me. Great. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to to come on and and share your experience. And we'll have to have you on again. Uh, you know, in the future.
2: Yeah, thanks Jenny. I appreciate the opportunity and this was uh this was a blast. So, thank you.
1: Thanks everyone.